0: Okay. Well, thank you for coming. I was wondering if anyone was going to show up to this presentation because it's really the only one that like it in the whole session. So, um, thank you. My name is Steve Meglin, and I am privileged to be the co-founder and president of an organization called Do More Good. Um, we uh, are headquartered in Colorado Springs, Colorado, and it's a privilege to be with you today. Um, our topic today is talking about... Engaging millennials. So, show of hands, how many people believe that you're a millennial? How many wish you were a millennial? <laughs> okay. Great. So, millennials, keep me honest, this is going to be very research-driven today. So, uh, we subscribe to a research partner at, our, at my organization. It's called Iconoculture and the um, Corporate Executive Board. They do a lot of research. And for the past three or four years, they have been doing a lot of research on millennials and really digging in to understand how how does this demographic think and how can we as communicators trying to engage them, how can we do a better job of not trying to get them to think like we do, but understanding how they think and engaging them in a more productive way. Um, And we've been teaching this to a lot of our clients. So today we have three core learning objectives. I want to broadly talk about Um, the generations so that you can understand how do we define them. I just, I got stuck in Chicago last night and, um, couldn't make it in. And my, luckily I have a family member, my sister lives there. And so we had dinner with her and her brother in law, my brother in law, and and he said, Well, what are you talking about? I said, We're talking about millennials. He said, Well, what makes up a millennial? So I started spouting off all this research. He's like, That's not right! (laughs) Okay, well, what's, what's a millennial? So this is an interesting topic because a lot of people, it's really tough to define, but we're going to talk about those key characteristics. We're going to gain a much deeper understanding of a millennial demographic, and we're going to talk very specifically about how to engage them. And hopefully, at the end of this, you will have some very practical application about how your organization or how you individually uh, can use the information to better engage millennials. Hello. I am a Sunday school teacher, so I will talk about the front row that's available. All right, agenda. Rather than just d- diving right in, what I thought I would do is start a little bit about what I'll call basic fundamentals of how do we communicate well. How do you understand, how can we begin to understand who our target audience is and do a better job of communicating with them? Then I'm going to do a, a very quick introduction of the generations, and then we're going to dig in deep. Who are, they, who are the millennials? Who are they really? How can we help connect, involve, and, and have them uh, give? And then we're going to end with some action items, how to use that. Is that all what you came for? Yep. I am interactive, so if you don't talk, I am going to be very upset. So engage. Stop me at any time, by the way. Some of this, we're going to go very quickly. Um, Two two slides on my organization. um, Strategic marketing and branding firm focused on what we call the science and discipline of branding. How do we understand perceptions in what your organization and what your brand can own? And leveraging signals, both visual and verbal and behavioral signals, to trigger automatically what you stand for. We also, as you might imagine, do the creative side of communications and branding. We do the art of great storytelling. So our job is to talk to people and engage people. So hopefully you'll find that uh, this information is useful. Okay, let's talk about talking, talking to people. Four key questions when you're thinking about how to engage any audience, Millennial or otherwise. first question is, do I intimately know who I'm talking to? And the operative word there, of course, is intimately. Second question, and probably maybe even more important than the first one, and and that is, do I know what they value? Do I know what's important to them? Do I know what they care about? All too often, organizations spend most of their time talking about themselves as opposed to what it is that other people care about and how we can create that connection point. Third point, do I communicate through more than one channel? Heard a study just the other day that said um, seven years ago when we used to do research on something, let's say you were going to buy something, a refrigerator, a car, whatever, that we would look at three sources of information before we made the purchase. Anybody want to guess what the number is now? 23, actually. Why? Information, knowledge, information is ubiquitous. Like, can you imagine buying a car without knowing what the sticker price is? I mean, you, you have instant access to so much information. And filtering through all the information is increasingly difficult. So knowing what people value is incredibly important, and thinking about more than one channel is really important. And then the second, the, the fourth point, sorry, is to talk about, am I, am I saying something more than once? Um, we'll talk about that principle in a second. So let's talk about the intimately knowing them. There's so many different ways that we can slice and dice um, understanding someone, age, personality, income, gender, values, beliefs, lifestyle, the generation that they're from. And all of them become really important. So when, you're, when you are communicating with people, when you want to engage someone with what you do in your ministry, make sure that you intimately know them. And we're going to cover a fair amount of this when we talk about millennials. We're going to dive into this, particularly the values issue. Let's talk about value. Um, in our organization, we, we, we talk about with them, what's in it for them? What's in it for the, the person who I'm trying to engage? And usually, there's three type of benefits that people have. One is a very functional benefit. So if I buy this product, if I engage with this organization, there's a very practical result that I'm going to get. Right? And there's emotional benefits. It's how I feel. Right? And when we can combine <laughs> emotional and functional, head and heart, uh, it becomes a very powerful tool. But one that most people don't talk about is this idea of what's called a self-expressive benefit. Anybody here have a Samsung? Hold up your Samsung. Okay. I have an Apple. Who's cooler? No, I'm going to let the audience pick. Who's cooler? Me, right? So so what's self-expressive benefit? It's not, is the phone functional? It's not, how does it make me feel? But it's, what does it say about me because I happen to carry this phone? Now, I don't carry it because I want you to think I'm cool. I actually like it better. But self-expressive benefit is an incredibly powerful tool. What does it say about me that I am engaging in whatever, buying this product, doing this service, going on this mission trip? Quick practical example. Gatorade, functional benefit. I'm thirsty. I need to rehydrate. Right? That's a very functional benefit. Allstate, you're in good hands with Allstate. How does that make you feel, right? It makes me feel comforted. It makes me feel safe, right? Very different connection point with the audience, right? Functional benefit. Self-expressive. Apple, I use the Apple example. I'm I'm hip, I'm cool, I'm in with the crowd, I have the latest gadget. I have the better gadget. So this story starts this way. I was in Japan in a Mexican restaurant. There's one, actually, in, in, in Tokyo. And I spent a lot of uh, time working for global multinationals traveling all over the world. And it was really interesting to be in Asia because business is done very differently in Asia than it is in the U.S. The U.S., you can sort of go to lunch with somebody, have a conversation. Next day, you send them a contract, and they sign the contract, and you're ready to go, right? In Japan, they have this this thing that that, that was told to me was... Before you can begin to have a relationship with someone, you have to sit down and have nine cups of tea. I have to actually sit down and have a conversation and engage with them nine times before they're willing to begin to have a more serious conversation with me. And the principle here is is that you can't just say what you're going to say once. There is so much information, there is so much noise, that if you are not sitting down and having nine cups of tea with the person you want to engage it's unlikely you're going to be able to capture their attention. All right. Basic communication principles, right? Know your audience, know what they value. Hit them in multiple channels and hit them multiple times. So let's talk about the generations. So we're going to talk today about millennials, but there's five that I'm briefly going to touch on. Matures, boomers, Gen Xers, millennials, and Gen We. What's missing? gen y right Um, most researchers now have blended gen y at the high end of gen y they're in gen x and at the low end they blend them into millennial so they've they've sort of that sort of has disappeared as a as a generational model so this is the breakdown of matures there's 33 million of them sometimes called the greatest generation they're 69 and older uh, and they were born uh, 1945 and earlier they, um, they're incredibly pragmatic. Um, where they are in life right now, they want to seek control over aging. They want to age in place. And what they value is, they value control, convenience, and legacy. Legacy is incredibly important to them. They want to leave the world a better place to their kids and their grandkids than they had. And they are struggling with that mightily. Mightily. So legacy becomes important. So if you're talking to matures... Talk about leaving a legacy. Talk about how to engage with your organization in a way that allows them to leave a legacy, Um, particularly when you're talking about donations. It's a very powerful tool for them. Baby boomers. Huge. 33 million here. 73 million baby boomers, 24% of the population. Um, Obviously, the greatest wealth transfer in the history of our nation is happening now from baby boomers that are are now retiring. Um, And you can sort of see the age groups somewhere between 50 and 68. They are um, unapologetic. They're incredibly optimistic. And one of the things that they value is authenticity. Um, There's a lot of financial uncertainty with what's been happening since 2008 in the Uh, financial markets and so they have their purchasing power has ebbed and flowed particularly as they're thinking about retirement that's a big deal big deal to them they're very much about purpose purpose in life how do i create how do i have a purpose and how do i live that out and that does not fade fade as they act as they get older it actually becomes more clear and what's interesting is you might imagine family was probably the thing that brought them together but as they age family is no longer the primary driving factor it's about creating an experience um, and, and, f- and living out and fulfilling your purpose. We're not here to talk about them. We could talk about them for a long time. We're here to talk about um, millennials, but we have to talk about my generation. Yes, technically I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Gen Xer. Um, I call this the forgotten generation. They're sort of wedged between 70, however million boomers and we're going to talk about how many millennials are. And there's sort of this trough in between. And they really feel like the universe forgot them. <laughs> I can relate with that personally. 70% of the population. Um, they're so fascinating. Um, they're highly skeptical. They're highly skeptical of marketing. They have very much of a, yeah, right, mentality. You can't just say it and they're going to believe it. You really have to uh, prove it. They're very distrustful by nature. You can't just propose to them. Nine cups of tea is really important. You have to date them. And they have suffered more stress and frustration because of unemployment. They've actually been through three financial downturns uh, in their lifetime, and uh, they're very sensitive to that. So, millennials. The largest percentage of the population right now, we'll see where genera- Generation We goes, but um, 70, almost 76 million of them, and uh, we've we've segmented this at 19 to 36 years old. Let's talk a little bit about them. Does the second bullet point frustrate anybody in this room? Raise your hand if that's been that's a challenge for you. No black and white, right? Um, it's it's it is it's difficult. Um, they want and value lots of opinions. A lot of people say, oh, they're anti-government. It's all about themselves. That's actually not true. Um, they hate incompetence, they're natural evangelists, and they want to be heard. And the last bullet point I think is really important. Um, because they've grown up in the era of information is ubiquitous, they've become very good at filtering out what's not important. right? Because they, they have to to survive. The older generations are f- like freaked out by it because there's so much information, but they really embrace it and, and, and they're very good at dismissing clutter. Generation we, look at that number, 74.1, and they're not quite done yet. Um, So for the first time in the history since this has been measured, you will have two generations. So you had elders that were down here. You had boomers that were up here. You had millennials or or Xers that were here. So it's been this, this curve. Now you have two generations in a row that are enormously large populations. And they think and act fundamentally different than all the generations before them. So it's not just going to, it's not like when we're done with millennials, the next generation, generation, is going to come and it's going to be different. Actually, the, the research is saying that it's going to be very similar. So we better get used to this. <laughs> all right. Ready to dive in a little bit? Are there any characteristics of Th- There are a lot, but... Um, that's probably another hour's worth of session. Yeah, there, are, there there is, uh, there there is some some. Many of them are similar to millennial, but a couple are different. Two numbers I want to talk about on this graphic. Number one, look at their estimated purchasing power. It's enormous. Anyone know what the average household income in the United States is? It's Fifty-three thousand dollars. Average household income of millennials. 60. So I've heard this over and over again. People say I, they, they don't have any money and they don't give, and we don't exactly know how to engage them. And that's just simply not true. Sir? I was just wondering where, how is that measured? Surveys? Yeah, this is survey work. Some of their data actually comes from census data, um, and some of it is survey data. And a one? Yeah, let's hold that thought. Because <laughs> that's, a really interesting, that's a really interesting question. So for the recording, he, he said, how is household measured? And we're going to talk about, about that. Um, I'm going to give you a summary portrait, port- and then we're going to dig really deep. Um, this generation is extremely confident. They are unbelievably connected. They are not locked in. They are wildly open to change. And contrary to popular belief, they give in equal or greater proportion than other generations. They are incredibly diverse. They are—they're like—they're a little bit like Jello. It's it, really difficult to pin them down. And by the way, they value that diversity. Um, we're going to spend a little bit of time digging into this. What I mean by life stage resistant. M- most generations—and and I get this question all the time. So, when millennials get to be a certain age, they're going to change, right? Because everybody else did when they got into that life stage. When they start having kids. When they get married, whatever that is, they're going to change. And so far the research is saying they, they are actually life stage resistant. Um, they have unbelievable imagination and it's very selfless. One of the criticisms millennials get is that it's, it's, it's about me, it's all about me, it's me, it's me, it's me. It's me. And they are incredibly giving um, and selfless. And we're going to dig into that as well. And they're not some weird three-headed monster. They're just everyday Joes and Janes. Okay. You know, that's an interesting. Let's, let's see if that word fits when we get a little bit further into the presentation. Is altruistic the right word? Um, I think it's a little different than altruistic. It's not just about some ideal. Um, it's a little bit more about um, making sure that people are well cared for, not just me. So there's a, a little bit deeper purf- purpose than, deep, than pure altruism. Okay. Up side for just one Happy to. Wrong way. Where goes? Go. Where am I going? Where am I going? Okay. I want to go this way, right? <laughs> So used to using this thing, and I'm standing by a podium and I can't stand it. I want to walk around. Question or just writing? Writing? Okay. I am going to I will be posting this presentation on the site so you will have access to it. Um, I haven't yet, because I actually was updating some numbers today. Um, I want to hear them. What are the stereotypes? Hipster. What else? ADD. Entitled. Okay. Basement living. Living with my parents, right? Yep. Love it. Impatient for position. They want to jump right to the top. They want to jump into the action. Yes. Okay. value value gadgets rather than sort of typical things that might signal success or status? Demanding. Demanding. Cohabitating. Cohabitating. These are all really good. Cohabitating. (laughs) Cohabitating. Okay. They want to drive cars. cars? They don't care about cars. I'm just I'm just watching all the millennials in the room when these are coming out. so. <laughs> so it's my view is the best view. It's great, ma'am. Rather text than talk. On the phone. Rather text than talk. Okay. Yeah, they are they are they are um, not technology competent. It's just it's like an appendage. Yeah, it's part of them. Conscious of the environment. One more time. Conscious of, the environment. Conscious of the environment. Yes, very much so. Do you know why? I don't know if I know why. I, I think I might have some insight into that. Engage with world causes. Engage with world causes. Right? Very much so. Very relational. All right, I want sort of the negative stuff. Come on. I want to see these faces. They're, are... they're labor whores. They're labor whores. Label. Label. Yeah. How they look, what they wear, their appendages, what type of appendage. Right. They're very best. That's life. Okay. It's going to be fun. We're to, oh, I wish I had two hours. Okay. W-L. Work-life balance. Yeah, work-life balance. Yeah, they won't go overboard with work. Yeah, work-life balance. Yeah. Very, very true. Okay. I want you to think of someone that you know personally. Personally. Okay. Could be the person next to you. Okay. I'm going to introduce you to a millennial that I know. So, this is, uh, this is a, someone who I am very, um, very connected to. This is Sarah. She lives in Texas. And she is, um, I think, a quintessential millennial. She grew up in a Christian home, uh, Christian values, but she thinks fundamentally different than her father, which would be me. Including things like, why did you vote that way? And tell me the under why explain that to me? And it is really interesting for me to have a millennial. She actually is, she's uh, still in school. Um, but, what's that? I said, and that's the difference. Yeah, and that's the difference, yeah. Yeah, and she's actually fearful about going out into the world. It's really interesting. Um, I do want to, the reason I put this slide up is, is we're, we're going to be talking about trends, we're going to be talking about data. But it's really important, like we would with anybody else, every one of these people have a story. Every one of these people are designed in God's image. And so, yes, we're going to be talking about trends, we're going to talk about that kind of thing. But I just want to encourage you to make sure that regardless if you're talking to a millennial or not, they're God's design, you know, and he loves them just as much as he loves you and I. So, um I, I feel it a privilege to be able to work. I, I would say probably 70% of my staff are millennials. Yep. So I have a privilege. And I had a privilege of working with Megan until she left and went someplace else. All right. Let's talk about generational fracture. Who saw the show finale for MASH? Okay. Anybody know what year that was? Oh, 1983. Very good. 105 Almost 106 million viewers watched the last episode of MASH. Show finale for Friends, 52 million. Anybody know what year that was? 04. Wow, you guys are like Johnny on the spot. This is amazing. Okay. Then start looking at the breakdown in the last two years. Breaking Bad, How I Met Your Mother, Dancing with the Stars, Game of Thrones. Much, Much more fracturing. This isn't just about what's happening on television. But what's happened is is when the final show of MASH was on, everybody went to the water cooler when they went to work on Monday, and they talked about it. It wasn't just what was on television. It was what was going on in your home. It It was going on in society. It was going on at work. And this fracturing where that information, there's not this constant aggregation anymore of people going to one thing. I'm going to see if this works. I hope this works. I hope you can hear this. Hey, Jennifer, this my triple money slang. Aw, oh, Scream. I'm Chris Mike, Joby Roll. I'm shopping late up in Kispit. Peace, Jerry, you're downed oh. up. <laughs> <laughs> I bought the liver, toothpaste, dummy way. I'll catch these, don't worry about it. It's a DD. But I'm the hedge, Max's car, and jumble that. Have a job. We're on a brood. What? Catch up on what everyone's talking about with the X1 Entertainment Operating System, preloaded with the latest episodes of the top 100 shows, only from Xfinity. The top 100 shows. The universe is different, right? And millennials get this, and, and, and they, they seamlessly move in and out of all of these different things, right? Top 100 I mean, when I grew up, There's like three shows and if you didn't watch it you didn't you couldn't have a conversation right Out, outside of outside of home so big generational fracture that's largely being driven by mass media but i think what we're seeing is it's not just media that is fracturing i think it's the nature of millennials that is beginning to fracture media and causing it causing this need for this incredible diversity to be created right and we now live in a world where we are talking to these people and all kinds of people and it's harder and harder for us to get our message to them in a meaningful way. What was your last one on the bottom? I couldn't see. It was about- uh, um, Game of Thrones. Okay. Question. And I've watched a total of none of those. Okay. <laughs> so, it, you know, which came first? The, uh, you know, the chicken or the egg? I mean, we have now a media system in which you can, watch all, you know, nobody watches a yeah. series consecutively. They watch them all in a weekend, you know, yeah. five seasons of Breaking
1: Bad yeah. on a weekend. Yeah, right, and on so, Netflix. So yeah. is it, which
0: yeah. came first, yeah. you know? Yeah, I would say it's a little bit of both. Market-driven organizations see where the market is going, and they react to it. So if you, if you think that broadcast TV has begun to be dead, if you're a broadcast cast TV producer, you better figure out a way to stay alive. Right? So part of it is driven out of just necessity of staying alive. But part of it, I think, is because they're listening to what's going on in community and culture right now, it's, it's significantly influencing the decisions that they make. I'm sure they would love not to have to do both. They would like to do one or the other, but we don't live in that world anymore. We actually have to do both. It's a really good question. Who remembers Casey Kasem? Yeah, like six people in the room. Okay. <laughs> America's top 40, right? When you wanted to listen to music, you went to one place. And that was all the cool music. And now there's, I don't know, 9,000 different ways in which to listen to music. Hey, show of hands by millennials. When's the last time you listened to the radio? All the time. Millennials? millennials? You listen to the radio? Like in, in your car? Yeah, it doesn't have a CD player. Mm-hmm. My car, no. <laughs> <laughs> How come you don't just listen to your phone? and stream Spotify She's a boomer at heart <laughs> Sir So is this happening in the church too Oh no it's ha- it is absolutely starting to happen in the church and in ministry <clears throat> I mean so I work for a, a very large Christian nonprofit and we were a media ministry. And so we had to begin to think of how are we going to get this message out to the universe? And it's not just millennials because what's happening is I think millennials are starting to shape it and other people are starting, other generations are starting to get on board, right? And that's, that is millennials beginning to shape the culture. And again, if you're a good church or a good non Christian nonprofit, you're listening to the market and you're beginning to have to deliver things in a way that the market wants to receive them. And if you're not, you, I promise you, you will be left behind. Great question. Okay, <coughs> diversity. Un- unbelievable desert- diversity. They, this is a highly educated group, okay? And we talked a little bit about employment um, before. There, There is a little bit of a, I really would like to be involved at a very senior level before I've sort of earned my stripes. There, there's absolutely no doubt about that. But it's not because... They're self-aggrandizing. It's not necessarily because they're trying. um, It's not about them. There is a powerful force going on that they want to begin to connect their education and their lifestyle intersected with employment. These don't exist in separate buckets for them. They begin to blend them together in a very powerful way. So it's not like, well, I go home and I do this and I go at work and I do this. It's work and home and life and in the mission field. It's all blended together, right? It becomes a big mishmash. So they don't draw these very clear, clean lines. We're going to talk about a, a little bit more in terms of success. How do they define success? translate also to, into Europe Asia, I would say the West world? the Western Western world for sure and increasingly I think in Asia um, in in advanced Asia so parts of China for sure um, Singapore you know that, that certainly those areas that are a little bit more, yeah, the more educated, what is the I think media is a huge piece of it for sure right but part of it is it's just it's it's their DNA and so they hunger for it and if they don't get it where they are they're going to go someplace else and get it so if you don't, so here's the lesson: if we're not providing an opportunity for them to live out that diversity, they will go someplace else. So if you're not thinking about that, they will go someplace else, ma'am. God bless you. Thank you for thank you for your service to this country. Hold, hold, that, hold that thought. What I don't understand is, how can you live and be that connected? Here's, I, I wish I had time to go into that, but here's going to be my recommendation. Okay. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter that I don't understand. It doesn't matter that you don't understand. You just need to realize that that's the way it is. Can like no other. Truly, <coughs> truly. It is, it's phenomenal how, how they can do that. Okay. I'm going to talk about a 6% slice. This is segmentation. So good marketing principles say, hey, understand your audience, and then you can you can drill down, and you can get a really good profile of who they are, and then you know how to talk to them and what channels to talk to them in. Really, really, really difficult with millennials. So millennial moms with college degrees make up 6% of all millennials. Okay. When you had a finite segment like that, it would be pretty easy as a communicator to go, I, I can pretty much profile who they are. Right? But in this case, you might have an African-American urban working full-time owning a condo in a prolonged engagement with an um, affluent married white working full-time out of her house with a single living together Hispanic uh, Latino living in an urban setting that might be middle income. There, there is no shape anymore. Segmentation is continuing, continuing to degrade. And here's another interesting stat. Unmarried mothers account for 47% of children born to millennials. Almost half. That's from Pew in 2012. Without a marriage. Without a marriage. Yes. So marriage is no longer the definition of having a family. For sure. All right, so question is. That's great, Steve. Thanks for that great news. So, you know, how do, we, how do we connect? And how do we begin to connect with an audience that's so fractured? So here's one suggestion. So this is really interesting research. Remember I said before that they, they, they tend not to change during life stage. So if you look at this chart in the upper right-hand quadrant, these are sort of ten, 10 values that uh, millennials have. They they did this study for the last three years and they ranked them on 93 different value points. Look what's in the center. Happiness, loyalty, success, authenticity. Okay, those are the big ones. And then equality, courtesy, it sort of goes out. And what you can see is regardless of whether I'm single or I move to a couple with no kids in the home, parents with kids in the household, those stayed the same. Okay? So what we have to do is we have to begin to unpack what does happy mean, as an example, if that's at the core. So happiness is, it's not necessarily about success, and it's certainly not about financial riches, right? Happiness is really manifested oftentimes around helping other people achieve their mission. So if happiness is a motor, motivator and a driver for millennials, this isn't necessarily about making them happy. It's getting them to engage in a way that helps also make other people happy. Right? Really powerful idea when you start flipping it that way. Don't think of it as, oh, I have to make them happy. I have to give them the right salary and the right job and whatever. That's part of it, right? It's also happiness is about achieving something big beyond myself beyond what I might be able to do. So part of what's happening in the work world is they want opportunity to experience something bigger than just whatever the job description might be. How are we as organizations and as older leaders giving them those opportunities? How are we finding them? How are we creating them? Love this term. Great term. Relatable specificity. Millennials need to hear very specific and very authentic stories that connect with their shared values. It's incredibly important for them. So what might that look like? Has anyone ever heard of Rosanna Pazzino? Pazzino. Pansino? Has anyone heard of her in the room? Okay, This just sort of blew my mind. YouTube did a huge advertising campaign, and they highlighted her. She's a 20-something who is a, um, she's really into video games. She also really likes to bake. So she has created a YouTube channel that literally highlights a video game, and then she bakes the characters in the video game and shows everybody how to do it. Of course she does. Now, so you, you're like, well, so what? So I went out to her to, to her YouTube channel yesterday. The latest post that she had had six hundred thousand views. Here's here's what's happening. Why why are people so interested? Even if you're not interested in that, here's what it says to a millennial. My intersection of my values. I can. They, they see themselves in her story. They see themselves in being able to do what she has done. And that's a powerful motivator for them. That fact that you can get as specific as that intersection of video games and baking, I think she's got 25 million followers. Baking and video, I mean, who, who knew? Who, who knew, right? So, Anybody here watch Dancing with the Stars? Come on, admit it. Raise your hand. One or two. Okay, not really raising your hand. Anybody this season hear of Bethany Mata? Okay. She's famous. What does she do? She's a YouTube. She's she's YouTube. She does makeup and women's, you know, um, really focusing on helping uh, women um, um, like who they are and where they are in life. Very powerful message, right? But she's so famous as YouTube that she's now on Dancing with the Stars. She's a star. It's, it's amazing how this is beginning to happen. So millennials are delaying traditional markers of adulthood, okay? And they're cementing their values before entering the next life stage. And once those, those values are cemented, they're not going to change. So we need to understand what those values are, and we need to understand how do I connect with them as a communicator, Right? And they're resisting the cultural trend of letting life stage change their values. So if you break down sort of the value system, there's this is there's 53% of millennials are singles. Be really careful with words here. 18% are couples without kids, not married, right? And 29% are married, right? But if you look at the singles and the couples with no kids, that's 71% of a 75 million dollar, 75 million person demographic, that's 55 million people who are willing and ready and able to pick up and go have an adventure. So is that relevant to missions? Absolutely. Right. You start thinking about relatable stories. Can, can you imagine the powerful impact of stories that we're already telling in the mission field about what's happening and trying to get them to place themselves in that situation so that they can see themselves in it? That becomes a powerful communication vehicle for us. By the way, the, the married number is, um 32% of all millennials are married. So, not exactly sure how it fits into this bu- bucket, but they, they, they are married. Okay, redefining success. Let's talk about success. They believe that a successful lifestyle is not yours to determine. It is not society's to determine. It is theirs to determine. So, we all said this. The house, the steady job with the cubicle, the wife, two kids, and a dog, the house in the suburbs does not equal success. That is not what success looks like. It's not about these old markers anymore. Success, Successful lifestyle could be something as simple as, I want to travel the world for a year to go figure things out. And other millennials go... That's, that is, that's great. That is success. Right? So we have to create opportunities for them to find their success in what we are doing. How do we connect with what they determine as being successful? And the motivators are not, and by the way, you get a really nice job with a really nice paycheck and you'll be able to get that car and you'll be able to get a house. That, that's not motivating to them. Right? Freedom is a big value that's, that's motivating to them. So how do we do that? So let's talk about application. First idea. Help them build a missional life and career that represents their values. So the first thing you have to do is understand their values. How do you connect with what it means to be a missionary with their value statement and create that that heart and head connection? And how do we show the deeper meaning through this personal storytelling? If we take an example out of that YouTube channel, how do I make it intensely personal for them? How do I leverage ideas of people that are in the field and having these experiences and showcase those so that they can see themselves in it and want it and want to engage with it? Number two, cross-cultural identity shaping. How can you and what you do and how you are, if you're a sending organization or if you're a church, how can you help them shape their identity through what you do? How can you invite them in to come alongside and help them shape their identity and give them an opportunity to experience life in, 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 a, in a great way? I love this quote from the Atlantic. Bad job market, couldn't find a job, but it gave me a chance to explore something that probably would not I would have never done. That equals success. Opportunity, change, right? That equals success. Okay, so remember, you're a millennial. What could you do to engage them? your personal story of the one that you had in your head? How might you be able to engage them? Okay, now I'm going to go through a bunch of research now, and there's going to be a lot of statistics, and I'm just going to highlight a couple of points for us as we as we uh, go forward. And there are around three core ideas. How do we connect, how do we involve, and, and how, do we, how do they give? So this is from a 2013 study uh, by an organization called Achieve. Every year they do a millennial impact research report. A couple of key points out of this one. Sixty percent of respondents in this survey that they do this, they've done this now for, I think, five years now. Um, Liked it most when nonprofits shared stories about successful projects or the people that they help. It it sounds obvious, but you would be surprised how many people I walk around, I bump into, who don't share success stories. Right? Make sure you're doing so. Um, Email. Oh, they, don't, they don't read email. Yes, they do. 65% receive email or newsletters for, from a nonprofit, from one to five nonprofits. They want to hear about information, but it can't just be information. It has to be done in story format. Okay. 46% of them donated to a cause. They read blogs, and 51, as you might imagine, connect on social media. Actually, that number was lower than I thought it would be. Interesting number. 97% prefer using their individual skills to help a cause. So if you want to talk about either employing them or engaging them, how can we understand what their skill set is and then create an opportunity for them to build and grow those skill sets within what we do? 87% feel encouraged to volunteer or participate in their company's cause work. So... They are highly motivated when, and and in fact, when they search for organizations, one of the huge criteria they look for, where do they want to work? Am I doing something that makes a difference, whether it's a for-profit or not? They want to engage in things that have, have a deeper meaning. 87%. So what are some takeaways? Number one, relevancy matters. Don't speak at them. Speak with them. Engage them in conversation. Put your purpose front and center. Make it easy to engage. Make it about them and how they can fulfill their purpose and identity. And once you have them and they engage in that, it's a really powerful connection. They want to work together, not by themselves. So how do we create opportunities to connect with peers? And by doing what they're doing or how you want to engage them in whatever you happen to be doing, how can they do it with others? So it's not just about them. It's not a transaction. And they want a relationship. It's powerful how often uh, the study two years ago talked about how they wanted to meet the leaders of the organization that they donated to. It wasn't just about, hey, give me your $5, give me your $10, and hey, it's a great cause. They want to meet the people who are running it. Accountability is really an important value for them. And as we said, personal stories, so to go into that one. And you might be surprised by this, but... If you don't have a mechanism for them to share stories, get it, like tomorrow. What do you mean by that? So if they go to your website or they go to something and they can read something, but they have no mechanism to, to share what they're doing or to take what you have and share it with someone else in a very easy way, you're, you're, it's, it's dead end. It's dead in the water. Okay, let's talk about involve. Um, So ways in which they want to get involved. Young young nonprofit professional group. How many of you have thought about creating a professional group in your nonprofit for growing skills? It was number two in terms of their motivations for wanting uh, to get involved in a nonprofit. So leadership doesn't necessarily have to mean the CEO or the VP of whatever. Leadership to them can be something about responsibility and working in a team for something. Doesn't have to be the CEO position. Seventy-two percent want to get involved in a nonprofit group. Seventy-eight percent prefer per, prefer performing cause work in groups rather than by themselves. If you are not creating an opportunity for them to come together in a group, you're missing it. It's not just about come join us. It's about come join us collectively, right? Interesting in the workplace. Six, more than half prefer to volunteer with people in their own department. So community is really big, right? They want to engage in community. So. Well, Gen X for sure are individualists. The answer for Gen X's is, is that nobody can do it better than me. Let me show you. So they tend to be highly individualistic, right? Um, and, and I, I would say boomers tend to head, get grown up there. It's, it's you fought, you did really well, you did your best, you got promoted, you did the next thing, and that was because of your skills and ability. The, that idea of doing everything in community is a r- pretty recent phenomenon. Okay, we talked a little bit about, I know this one's hard to read, I apologize, Hard to re- um, about values. So values that are strongest for millennials, happiness, passion, diversity, sharing, and discovery. Discovery. They want to go explore and do things. What better way than through missions, right? Contrast that to older generations. Justice, integrity, family, practicality, duty. I work hard because it's my duty to do so. doesn't register. That's not on the register scale with millennials. So if you're trying to engage them, and, and, and get them because of you. it's their duty to do so, you got the wrong message, right? It's your passion. It's about diversity. It's about meeting others. It's about discovery. Okay, key takeaways. Number one, understand their values, right? They transcend life states, so let's make sure we really understand what, what drives it. And by the way, if you don't know, ask them. You don't have to know everything. Ask them. Showcase your cause. We talked about that. In 2012, 73% of millennials volunteered for a nonprofit. So create opportunities to get involved. They want to learn and grow. Create opportunities for them to do that within your organization. And I will tell you, more so than almost, this this really surprised me, more so than almost any other generation, results matter. They want to know that when they gave, that that resulted in something. Because they're not giving out of duty. They're not giving out of because somebody told me to and I think I should. They want to see results. So make sure you're showcasing results, whatever those happen to be for you. All right, lastly, give. Talk about giving. 83% of millennial respondents made a gift in 2012. 83% 83% of 75 million people made a gift. Everybody says to me they don't give. They give. We just gotta create a, a, a really good reason for them to give with us, right? Why do they give? Inspiration. They're interested in a monthly giving. Transparency. Huge. Remember, one of the core values was about uh, was trust. Okay. You have to share where the money is going and what you're doing with it. It matters to them. It doesn't just matter to the boomer who can write a really big check. Okay? If you're not doing that, you're really missing out. And peer, we talked about this before, peer-to-peer engagement. When they engage and volunteer, the amount they give almost doubles. So if you can create an opportunity for them to give and to engage and to volunteer the gift will be bigger. It's not just about asking for money. So, how do they give? How do they want to give? Number one, no surprise. Look at number two. In person. Who, who before walking into this room, would have said, I'm going to create a giving opportunity, an in-person giving opportunity for millennials. You would have, You would. I, I can guarantee you, you would have said, text. Right? Number two, directly to a person or an event can't just assume it's about texting and just about online. With what? Cash? I mean, who carries cash in? iPhone 6. She she carries cash. PayPal. PayPal. Lots of different ways, right? But it's not so much that they might actually might not give with their phone. It's the engagement that becomes important. If you're going to ask me for something, ask me in person because I want a relationship, right? Isn't that, it's fascinating to me, just fascinating. One point on this other list over here about how they give. Um, Number two, I just want to highlight it again. Specific example of how their gift will make an impact. It, It matters. If you're not telling them that, if you're not telling the universe that, not just millennials, I think you're missing out. Okay. Last slide on this. So how much do they give? Almost 50% of the 87% that gave, gave between $50 and $500. Now, you might not think that's a lot, but if you had a million of them, that's a lot. 87% – this is is updated. This is this year's survey, um, 2014. Uh, 80% of employees (coughs) donated to a nonprofit organization in 2013. Does the male-female surprise you? No? Surprised me a little bit. I was actually surprised that the male was that high. Yeah. And um, what's interesting is when, when a millennial considers the cause of the company in the hiring process during their search, I actually researched this, Forty-six percent of them gave thousand dollars or more. Say that again. When a, millennial volu- when, a, when a millennial considers the cause of an organization during uh, a job search, so this is pr- mostly n- not the nonprofit world, okay? Because obviously, there's a cause with a, with a Christian nonprofit. That's that's very obvious. But they, they ask questions and they dig in deep. When they do that, and the company engages with the cause, 46% of those people gave $1,000 or more in a year. So what's my point? They give, right? We just have to connect and and engage them in the right way. So what are some of the key takeaways? Um, They give and will give more. Show them how even a small gift makes a difference. Inspire them. Please don't call them. Don't call them. And don't leave a voicemail. (laughs) Um, make it easy to give through technology, but don't forget the face-to-face. Be transparent. They they value authenticity. Authenticity is huge. If they sniff that you are inauthentic, they are gone. And there's too many choices out there. Activate peer-to-peer engagement. We talked about that. 70% are willing to raise money on behalf of an organization they care about, even if they don't work there. 70% of them said, I'll go and help raise money. For this organization, because I care about the cause. Think about engaging them that way. And they give more when, uh, the cause connects to their values. We talked about that. Alright, super quick. This is, this is a little old, but I just wanted to put this up. Two years ago, they asked the question, what, what would make you just stop giving? And overwhelmingly, 79% said, I lack trust in the organization. Okay? So work hard <laughs> to make your message specific and make sure you talk about how those donations are going to be used and be, be, be truthful about that. What influences trust? Family or friend? But look at number two. Meet the organization's leadership. That's a mechanism in which you can build trust. So are, could you create an event where you can invite people in to meet the leadership to build a trust relationship and then begin to create a giving relationship. Just an idea. Alright, lastly. How often do they want to be, where do they want to be communicative and how often do they want to be communicated? Here's, here's the truth. Most people have no idea how often you're asking them to give. When I was a focus on the family, we studied this every year. And we would ask people, how often do you want us to ask you to engage with you. And they'd say, three to four times a month. And we'd say, how often do you think we're talking to you? And they'd say, three to four times a month. And we were talking to them 18 times a month. You've got to be careful, because you can overdo it. If it's always the same channel and always the same message and you're just hammering it home, that's irritating and annoying. But again, multi-channel communications, it avoids fatigue. So... um, All right. Again, a little old, but I think this is, I just want to make this point. This was talking about how many of them volunteered for an organization. Eighty-five percent of them said the primary obstacle why they didn't was lack of time. But half said they were not asked. Are you asking people to volunteer? And if so, are you connecting with the things that we talked about before? All right. A couple minutes left. Let's just do summary. Summary portrait, confident, connected, open to change. They give, diverse, resistant, imaginative, and they're everyday Joes. All right, so last three points. They're non-homogeneous. Traditional approaches don't work, and segmentation is hard. So think about that story, that YouTube story I told you. Show one story of a single element of their diversity and tell it in an authentic and meaningful way for them to be able to engage Stay the same as they age. We said this a couple of times. Know their values because they are values driven. They will put themselves in the shoes of compelling individual stories, even if it's not their story. So tell really good stories and be authentic at all costs. And they're not statistical norms, they're not stereotypical. They're people who you know. So be true to who you are. And if being true to who you are doesn't engage them, that's okay. Don't force it. Go there's 78 million of them. Go to the next one. <laughs> Can you explain okay. the first one a little bit more? Like, show one story? I guess sure. So, the YouTube example of, of, of where there was such that specific intersection of what her passions were, and she created a YouTube channel. If you create a very specific story about somebody's individual values, and how that connected, and they were to live that value out in your organization, one specific story. They will relate to that, even if it's not them. Make sense? Okay. They're confident. You don't have to make them the CEO, but give them something to do that's meaningful and engages their need for happiness and success. Success as they define it, not house, car, that kind of stuff, right? We talked about before. Listen to them and create specific and authentic stories that connect with their values. Um, Tap into their passions right, and involve them in what you're doing. This imaginative thing I think is really powerful. Don't be static or boring. Be creative. And if you're not doing something, if it doesn't exist, trust me, they'll figure out a way to go create it. Okay, We've talked about that a bunch, right? Invite them to help you create it for them, with them, with you. Right? Think outside the box. Okay, last. They want to grow personally and professionally, but they're not necessarily mature enough and have all the information that they need in order to be successful. So let's create a a way to, to make that happen. And so this idea that we've talked about with other clients we call giving circles. Create a young professional group. Create peer fundraising opportunities. Create opportunities for them to engage with each other and create something that doesn't exist today. Peer-to-peer is incredibly important to them. So learning from others. It's not just necessarily mentor-to-mentee, but at a parallel level. They are generally unsure about the value or impact of their gifts, so make sure you tell them that it's important. Loyalty is a core value, so build and maintain trust. And about about the 47th time, Create real and specific stories of the impact of gifts, and right now they tend to give in smaller amounts. So if you are, if you have, if you're a, a nonprofit um, and you have a fundraising uh, system, think about retooling that a little bit to create multiple contacts, smaller giving opportunities, face-to-face opportunities. It will make a difference because it's the numbers are are on your side. So with that, I'll land the plane. Lots of information. It's going to be posted, lots of statistics, and we could talk. This could be a seven-hour session. Um, So thank you for indulging me for the quick hour that we had together. I know it's time to go, but if there's any questions, I'll hang around. Which website are you putting it on? Yeah, the GMHC. It will be published on, on the GMHC website. Thank you.